ask people who Jesus is, and you will discover a wide variety of answers. Journey with us to the Gospel of Mark as we discover the authentic Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? Hey, welcome. Glad you're here today. Yeah, welcome. All right, yeah, there's something. There's something's going on out there. All right. Hey, there was this uh, fellow who used to take this uh, long walk at, at, uh, at night home from work. And uh, he would have to go through this cemetery. One night on his way home, he had forgotten uh, or didn't realize that there was a new grave dug in the cemetery. And, uh, and he fell into it. And it was so deep that he could not claw his way out. And he tried and he tried for quite a while, but just exhausted and sweating, he just lay down and went into the grave and lay there uh, wondering how he was going to get out. About that time, he heard some coon hunters coming. And uh, one of the coon hunters fell in the same grave. He fell down the other end, unaware of the other guy that's already in there. And so uh, he did the same thing. He began to try to claw his way out and try and try and try that he could. And about that time, the guy at the other end of the grave walked up to him and put his hand on his shoulder. Said, you can't get out of here. But he did. <clears throat> All right. I had, I had a couple jokes I was going to try, and that one worked well this morning. But you're, you, this crowd here, I don't know if Todd was right. Are you guys awake? Are you awake? Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Wake up. Hey, this is Resurrection Sunday. He's risen. Yeah, some of you got that down. I mean, Jesus is alive, and that's what we're going to be talking about today as we wrap up this series through the Gospel of Mark. Now, uh, we've been in Mark eight, eight weeks uh, looking at the authentic Jesus. And we looked at he uh, as the God-man, as part of the Trinity, as one who be put on flesh and bone and walked among us. And, and we call him Jesus. There's no subtraction to Jesus being a human. It's only an addition. And then we looked at his gospel call to his disciples. And uh, that, that call to come follow him and proclaim that there's a new kingdom here is one of the greatest, it is the greatest mission that we could be on. We can't come up with a greater mission. We can't want, come up with one that has more purpose. We can't come up with one that does more to redeem what's broken. I mean, the preaching of the gospel, the establishment of the kingdom of God is the greatest thing that any of us could be called to. Then we looked at his power. He was on uh, the Sea of Galilee, and the great storm came up, and, and in an instant, he made it all still, made the wind stop, the sea stop, and everything was completely still in a moment, in a second. Here's what we concluded, that Jesus has the power to help us through whatever storm in life we face, that Jesus is able to, to, to give us a solution to, the, to our problems. It may come slowly, it may come quickly, but Jesus is able, more than able. Our God is able. Uh, then we looked at how uh, Jesus was transfigured and how his glory uh, encourages all of us, but it certainly uh, his experience on Mount Hermon certainly encouraged him as he set his eyes on the cross and walked to Jerusalem. And, and, and so we need to come together and, and sing like that last song, 
when death was arrested. I don't know if you get chills, man, but I do. I think that is just awesome. And, uh, and when we come together and worship, we, we get a glimpse. We get just a peek into the glory of God, and that encourages us because we need encouragement. Last week, we looked at that Jesus came to Jerusalem during past, uh, 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 approaching Palm Sunday, and as he comes to the outside of Jerusalem, they're hailing him as king, and he rides a colt uh, into the city. But when he arrives at the temple, there's no crowds. And, and we made this conclusion that, that we, like the Jews, we often want Jesus on the perimeter, on the exterior of who we are because we've got problems out there. But we're very reluctant, like the Jews, to welcome Jesus to the inside, to our temple, to our hearts. And where he needs to do the soul surgery necessary to redeem us. And, and we talked about that struggle. And so we've been looking at this. This week, we're looking at the resurrection. And it is a challenge for any human mind to fully believe that this Jesus walked out of the tomb. I'm fascinated by miracle stories. After first service, there were several people that came up to me and said, I have a miracle story to share with you. I had a friend who had cancer, and they, it, you know, they went to the doctor, and, and it was completely gone. You know, it went through that. And then another per, a person told me about a friend that was rescued from a terrible car accident. Everything burned up, but they didn't. When we hear these miracle stories in our mind, or we might even vocalize it, we say something like, I can hardly believe that. Why? Because it's a miracle. Like, there, there's no way that happens unless God's involved, right? And so when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we are truly looking at something that's hard to grasp. Recently, there's been a, a, a miracle story that's been turned to a, into a movie called Breakthrough. And it's about a St. Louis teenager, John Smith, who slipped through an icy lake in January of 2015 and uh, drowned in that icy water and was clinically dead for almost an entire hour. His mother, a staunch Christian, a woman of great faith, uh, stood beside his dead body in the hospital and just screamed a prayer that all the nurses heard on the floor uh, for the Holy Spirit to bring life back into her son. And God did. And he stood up. And two months later, he's playing basketball. And so uh, it's just an amazing miracle. It's baffled uh, medical people to this day. That has never happened to anyone on record, right? And so it's just amazing when we hear those stories. Here's a brief clip uh, from a testimony he gave on an interview. Rise and shine. Breakfast is ready in 10 minutes. And don't make me come back up there. This is our town. It's a close-knit community. The kind of place where everyone knows everyone. Hi, Miss J. Hey, how are you girls? And we're always there for each other. I loved getting the chance to see your story be presented to us on screen. How did that affect you? Were you prepared to have it all be told? <laughs> well, the first time I saw it, there were a lot of tears. I mean, that's just to be expected. But not tears about what I went through, not my character. More tears about what my mom, what my pastor, what my dad, and what they went through. Because even though I've heard about it, I've never seen it. And Breakthrough gave me a chance to see it. And it was just so emotional because I'm so incredibly close to my family. So there were just tears everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. How did, has your relationship with them changed from before this happened to now? Before then, my family has always been close. But we, we've, we're closer. Mm -hmm. 
Um, my dad, every night before he goes to bed, he creaks my door open and says, I love you, son. And I say, I love you too. And every night before I go to bed, I walk in into my dad, mom's chair and I give my mom a kiss on her cheek and I just go to bed. And after every phone call with my older brothers, we say, I love you. And people always ask me, well, why is that weird? Why, why are you weird like that? I go, we're not promised tomorrow at all. You know, uh, this could be it. You were so young when this happened and you're still so young. <laughs> in, in such formative years, right? Junior high and high school that you're navigating and having, you know, kind of this notoriety, but at the same time, you know, this humbleness and being raised from the dead. How did that manifest with you? Definitely going to, junior, to middle school and to high school right after this was definitely a challenge. You know, I didn't want anything to do with the story during that time. You know, it, it's, it's a big change, like, itself. And so I kind of ran away from the fact, but my sophomore year, I really just knew I had to give it all to God. I had to quit running. I, he had given me a platform that I didn't want, mm -hmm. but I knew in the end that me giving complete control to God, there would be so many more doors opened. And that is exactly what has happened. So John did not want to talk about what happened to him, the miracle that took place. He was reluctant. He wanted to live his life just as a, a middle school student and not be harassed and not be, you know, interviewed. But he began to realize that this miracle gave him a message that people needed to hear that God was able to do the impossible. And so it changed him and it changed the relationships of those around them. And it brought belief. People began to believe in God because of the miracle that took place in his life. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every time I say it, I want to laugh. Not because I think it's funny, just because it brings so much joy to me when I think about how God walked out of the death, man. It is just so stinking cool. All right, so uh, if you believe in this miracle, if, I mean, if you really come to believe in this miracle, it will transform you and it will change the people around you because you can't help but fully believe in this and it not make a huge difference. The belief in the miraculous resurrection of Jesus will transform us. Not simply a mental acknowledgement on Easter that it has taken place like we acknowledge on the 4th of July that the United States gained independence from Great Britain and it's a simple acknowledgement I'm not talking about a mental ascent. I'm talking about this event of the resurrection begins to change how you think about life and how you deal with suffering or brokenness or relationships. And so his resurrection really is a new way to live. Um, the atheist Bertrand Russell, he was called the bulldog of Darwinism. He said, unless you assume a God, unless you say there is some type of a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. He knew that. He knew that in the human mind, there has to be something beyond ourselves. He just didn't believe in the God in the Bible because he didn't want to believe in the evidence that Jesus is who he said he is. And unless we come to believe that Jesus is God, that God exists, and that God beat death for our account, our life is meaningless. It, it ends up without purpose. And so we're going to jump into Mark 16. We're going to read uh, the original to the original ending. We're not going to read uh, all of uh, the uh, added-on endings that we're not quite sure about. Just 1 through 9. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the large stone, which was very large, uh, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were so terrified. This is God's word. It has so much to say to us today. The women went to the tomb that morning wondering how they would roll the stone away to complete the burial process. But when they arrived, they, they see the stone is, is, has been blown away. And they walk home wondering how, how the stone was moved. To believe in the resurrection will challenge our thinking. And so uh, here's something that you may not have considered. To believe in the resurrection of Jesus will challenge any mind. But to not believe is even a greater challenge. Because here's, let me explain. There were dozens of messianic movements that happened before Jesus and after Jesus. And each one of these movements had a charismatic leader who had a band of followers, and generally what would happen was the leader would be executed and his followers would be dispersed. But not so with Christianity. The leader of Christianity was executed, but the resurrection brings everyone back together. And so here's the burden of proof on those who don't believe in the resurrection. They have to come up with some reason that explains Christianity. You have the greatest religious movement in all history. More people have chose to follow Christ than of any other world religion. It stands far and above the thinking of other religions. I'm just, I'm just telling it like it is. It's a religion of that it is done for us, not that we have to do things like so many other uh, man-made religions. And, um, and, and this, this Christianity has brought us things like Public education, educating the masses, and, and, and things like uh, uh, crop rotation, and a free market system, and hospitals, and orphanages, and, and all types of amazing art and music. There's so many things that flow out of the Christian movement that it's, it's hard to put them all down on paper. At some point, someone has to say, well, what caused all that? Only a miracle could cause a transformation of a world, and that's what took place. And so uh, there, there's this resurrection that takes the Roman Empire and turns it right side up. I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a group of people that suffered immense persecution, the Christians under Diocletian and Domitian, emperors that just massacred by the thousands Christians. They put up so many crosses that they ran out of wood. And these crosses where these dead bodies hung 
were all along the major roads of travel and you couldn't help but walk by by them and, and be terrified that if I became a Christ follower, that's what's going to happen to me. Yet this becomes the very religion of the Roman Empire at some point in time. And so what I'm saying is that that it, it is just it. There's only one way to explain this movement that a miracle occurred, a miracle of such great proportion that people were moved from disbelief to belief. It's kind of like the little kid, you know, that uh, believes in the Exodus. Anybody watch the Exodus movie last night? Anybody see Charlton Heston open the Red Sea? All right, you all need to go home and watch that. <laughs> Charlton Heston looks just like Moses. I know it, right? And uh, so anyway, this, this teacher was, was not a believer in the Exodus, and she began to sort of like scoff at the kid's belief that, uh, that the Israelites, you know, left Egypt and they crossed through the Red Sea. The waters parted and the, and the Pharaoh's army went in and the waters closed above Pharaoh's army and destroyed them. And, and, uh, and, she, and she tells a, tells a young student, says, look, where they crossed the Red Sea, the water was shallow. It was just a few inches deep. And, 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 and you know, they just kind of skirted across. It wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. And the kid jumped up and said, what? That's even a bigger miracle. And the teacher says, what do you mean? He said, well, God drowned all Pharaoh's army in two inches of water. You know? I mean, there's only one way to explain the movement of Christ, and that is the resurrection. Mark writes down all the names of the people who first saw that the body was missing and those that first saw Jesus resurrected. Mary Magdalene, mother of Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and Salome, were the eyewitnesses of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They were at all three places. And Mark mentions them three different times in this order. So this is the way ancient historians gave citations to their historical documents. They gave the names of the eyewitnesses, go talk to them, cross-examine the evidence, see if what I'm saying is not true. I'm sure these women were interviewed by multiple people before they left this earth and gave testimony of what they saw and what they experienced. And so, just like the miracle story of breakthrough, uh, there's all this evidence that this young John person died, right? And, 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 and so you have nurses' testimony, you have the doctor's testimony, you have the evidence of the documents that are, uh, are printed out that this kid was, was clinically dead for this amount of time. And, 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 and somehow, some way, we don't have a clue how other than there must be a God raised. The... So this is what we have. We have all this evidence. Now, maybe even more compelling evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes from a man who was not a follower of Jesus. He lived about 80 years after Jesus. His name was Celsus, and he was a historian, and he was not a friend of Christianity. He was a pagan Greek philosopher. And he wrote a number of documents trying to disprove Christianity. One of his strongest arguments against the resurrection of Jesus is the fact that the first eyewitnesses were women. In the first century, women could not testify in court. Their testimony was considered not credible. And so they were excluded from, from uh, official events like that and, and historical documents because that would, that, that, that would mean that, that your account was spurious, that it had no real value. But don't you see, don't you understand that, 
that this actually points to the validity of it. Because if Mark was making it up, he would have chosen eyewitnesses of great character and known to be wise. And they would have all been men. And they would have been men that, that everyone would have recognized. But, but he chooses these women. One who was possessed by demons. You know, I mean, like, really? No, you, this is the point. The testimony of the women validates of this gospel account actually took place just as Mark said it did. Now, the disciples of Jesus, they were completely surprised at what happened. Here's the thing. If they had, like, a clue that this would happen, they wouldn't have eroded it this way. No one expected the resurrection of Jesus, even though he said, I will rise on the third day in Mark chapter 8. I will rise on the third day in Mark chapter 9. I will rise on the third day in Mark chapter 10. I mean, three different times Mark says that Jesus said this, yet no one, absolutely no one, had a clue that this would take place. Now, why do you repeat something three times? You moms, you dads, you grandparents, you coaches, you teachers, you trainers. Why do we repeat something three times? We want people to get it. We want people to understand it. We're bringing emphasis to it, right? And some of you are getting elbows right now. I told you, I told you, right? He says it three times. Don't you think that one of the disciples, one of them, one of the guys, one of the eleven, would have said, you know, didn't Jesus say after three days he would rise from the dead? Let, let's, you know, let's, let's go up there with a bag of chips and see if it happened. You know, I mean, like, wouldn't you think that they would have done that? No, they don't do that because they, they had no clue this would, how, this would be how it would unfold like this. It was incon- as conceivable to them as it is to us. And the first time you hear about the resurrection of Jesus is when you're like, I, I don't know, man. A guy walking out of... I've been to a lot of funerals, and I've never saw anybody get up and drive home. Jesus does, right? And so, uh, now they don't believe for different reasons than we do. The Greeks, you see, the Greeks back then, they did not believe uh, that a resur- bodily resurrection was a good thing. Their idea of the next level or heaven would be completely separate from the physical. They didn't believe that the physical had any goodness about it. But Jesus is bodily resurrected. He eats food, yet he can go through walls. You know, it, it, so there's, there's a, there is a mystery about that. But he is, you can touch him, you can feel him. Thomas put his hand, you know, all of that. And, and, and so here's, here's what we're saying. that The Greeks wouldn't have come up with this. And the Jews, they wouldn't have come up with this because they just had a general understanding that there will be a renewal of all things. And there was a big group called the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection. And the old joke, that's why they are sad, you see. You know, okay, anyway. Uh, but uh, there's, there's absolutely no way that the resurrection would be part of anyone's concept of salvation. No one. Absolutely no one could have guessed it. And we can't either. I mean, we, we can't hardly believe it. But the evidence is undeniable. The only evidence for the growth of this Christianity is this event. It's the only thing that explains this movement. 
Now, it wasn't because these disciples, these three women, or the eleven, or any of the 500 that witnessed him at Galilee, it wasn't because they were rich or powerful. They're at the bottom of the food chain, the Jews in that time. I mean, they're, they're, these are the low people. They're considered ignorant and uneducated and really, you know, almost worthless. <laughs> it wasn't because of any of the things that they had in their power base to leverage to make this movement happen. The only thing that could make Christianity happen is the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't because they were carrying some amazing Bible around with great teachings making people wonder in awe about uh, uh, this great philosopher Jesus because they didn't have a Bible. You've got decades that take place where people have no Scripture. I mean, the Jews might have had some of the Torah Some of the Greeks might have memorized some of the things about Jesus. But Christianity is not built on the Bible. Do you understand that? Hear me out. Christianity is built on an event. The resurrection of Jesus. The the Bible follows. The Bible comes after. Not the Old Testament, but the New Testament. Here's what I'm saying. Like They walk around talking about one thing. Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that thing, fact we should pay attention to what he said it's the event that builds our faith not the book and it's not that the book doesn't build into our faith and it's i'm not saying the bible is not the inerrant word of god it is but what i am saying is that if you think that they had some great knowledge if you think that they had some great teachings to wow and awe people think again They walk around talking about an event that they cannot stop thinking about, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, how does this event transform us? Well, from the empty tomb comes words of grace that we all need to hear. Understand that these are words of grace. And understand that Jesus is saying these words through an angel. The angel says... Tell the disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. Now, think about what wasn't said. Think about what Jesus did not communicate. Jesus did not say, you tell those backstabbing, faithless, denying disciples that if they grovel at my feet, I might let them back in. Jesus doesn't say that at all. His grace is leading them, not withheld. We might forgive someone if they repent, but Jesus forgives us so we can repent. Do you see the difference? These are words of grace. Many people believe that God's grace is available to them because they're doing good, just the opposite. Grace is made available to us because we're not good, but Jesus is good. As a matter of fact, he's perfect. And that's how grace is dispensed to us. If you're looking for a performance-based religion, go somewhere else. It's called Islam. It's called Hinduism. It's called Taoism. It's called one of those isms, all right? Christianity is about receiving something that you cannot earn. The grace of Jesus Christ. Because he was perfect and sinless. And so 
Peter could not have went to Galilee. Peter, Peter could have not went to Galilee. He could have drowned himself in his guilt and shame. Isn't that what you do? Isn't that what I do? We do some terrible thing and we just beat ourselves up over and over again until we feel like we've beat ourselves up enough. And then the next day, guess what we do again? We beat ourselves up again. Listen, shame and guilt stay in the tomb. The words coming out are grace and hope. You know, you really got to hear this, folks. There, there are no more encouraging words than these. You tell the disciples and Peter, go to Galilee. Jesus is going there just as he said he would. He's not holding anything against them. He's not going to berate them. He's not going to beat them up. And he's not going to beat us up. And so Peter chose this invitation even though he's the biggest betrayer. I mean, what makes Peter's name mentioned there in this passage is that Peter's an epic failure. You think of the biggest failed person in the Bible, it's Peter. Peter walked with God, saw what God could do, and when, he needed, when God needed a friend, he denied him three times. It was interesting this morning... During sunrise service, uh, there was a time of worship, and we were listening to Were You There, the song Were You There, and, and a rooster crows three times. This is kind of cool, man. But anyway, uh, Peter's the epic failure. You can't think of a bigger loser. I, Peter's listening right now. He might have something to say to me when I see him in heaven, but he really was, man. He got a big L tattooed on his forehead. But he becomes the leader in the movement of Christianity. God uses the weak and the defiled and the throwaways to build his kingdom. So that he receives all the glory because it's never about us. And so that we understand that he can work with the most broken person and bring the greatest purpose of life to them. The grace extends to Peter and he becomes this great leader because he humbles himself. The resurrection gives us a message of hope to share. From that tomb come these four imperative commands. You know what an imperative command is, right? Take out the trash, clean your room, be home by nine. Imperative commands. So there are four here in this passage. Don't be alarmed. See where they laid him. Go and tell. Now... It's been said that man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, and about eight minutes without air, but we can't live one minute without hope. Amen. We need hope. And the event of the resurrection is evidence of our hope. 1960s uh, atheist and existentialist John Paul Sartre said that he's the godfather of postmodernism. He says the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection gives meaning to life and every believer a concrete and personal hope for the future. Don't be alarmed. Why do you get alarmed? I'll tell you why you get alarmed. You think, this is the only body I'll ever have. This is the only money I'll ever have. 
this is the only time to go on vacation or be with family or sleep in that I'll ever have. We act like this is all there is. So when something's taken away, we're alarmed. This is not all there is. This is not your only life. This is not your only wealth. This is not your only time. Do you understand? We shouldn't be alarmed because there is a whole renewal going to take place. And everyone who's lost something for the sake of the kingdom will receive back more than tenfold, the Bible says. You can't outgive God. You could take all your wealth right now and give it to some worth, worthy mission or cause or start a church or whatever, and you cannot outgive God. You cannot. Show up to church and serve in different ways more and, and think that, oh, I'm never going to get that time. Let me tell you what, God will honor everyone who surrenders their life to him and wants to build their kingdom. I mean, this is, this is the only 100% investment you can make in this life that will bring you more than tenfold in the next life. And I'm not talking about that we work to be rich. What I'm talking about is don't worry about the loss. Don't be alarmed. Next imperative command. See where they laid him? See where they laid him? Take a look. Here's the evidence. You should be able to have an intelligent conversation with someone who doesn't believe in the resurrection. They might say, some denier might say, well, Jesus wasn't dead. Really? They put a spear into his heart. Okay? He was wrapped in all these spices. He was put in a tomb for three days. Oh, he was dead. Uh, that's called the swoon theory. Or you might say, well, the guards took his body and they sold it off to somebody. Really? So if you're a guard in the Roman army and you don't protect the tomb, if you fail in that job, there's only one punishment. It's your, it's your head's lopped off, okay? So for them to steal the body doesn't make any sense because it would mean the death of every guard. Well, well, the disciples stole the body. Really? How'd they get past the guards? And they had no concept of this. They're hiding in the upper room. Well, the, the Pharisees, the ruling Jews, they took the body and, and, and because they were worried about something like this, really. Well, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and said, Jesus rose from the dead, they would have said, nope, we've got the body right here. They'd walk around the temple, show everyone the body. There's only one logical explanation to the resurrection of Jesus, and that is the Holy Spirit re-empowered his body, transformed his body, blew the stone wide open, and Jesus walked right out. And that is an amazing thing. You ought to get excited about that. I am, and I haven't had any sleep. You should get it real excited. All right. So this world has no hold on you. This is, this. you say it with me. This is not all there is. Say it with me. This is not all there is. Live it. Believe it. Remember it. So there's this question in Mark 8, 29. Who do you say that I am? It's, it, the ending of Mark is strange. It's odd. It's a postmodern gospel in, that, in the fact that there's no resolution. Mark ends with this, and the women walked away bewildered. It's like this. The reason I think Mark does that and others think this same thought. That's why I think it, right? I'm not coming up with this on my own. Because Mark ends 
with you having to respond to the evidence. His body's not here. What do you say about that? Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Many people walk into church wondering or expecting to hear what they must do. Or they come in wanting God to do something. God, heal me. God, fix me. Fix them. Fix him. Fix her. But I'm telling you, what we really need to do when we walk into church is seek a relationship. Because that's how change comes. You know this. You already know this. You know if you want to mentor someone in your life, a child, a, a new coworker, if you want to help somebody through a... You, you have to have a relationship with them. You've got to have change in your pocket so that you can tell them what they need to hear when they need to hear it, right? If you, want, if you really want to see your life be transformed, you've got you to say, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe Jesus walked out of the tomb, resurrected. And I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe this is not all there is. I believe he's got the power to transform me and fix whatever's going on. I believe he has the ability to go into my heart and bring heart surgery. I believe that Jesus one day will resurrect my body and I too will have a glorified body. This is what we're called to believe. And I know it seems inconceivable. But the evidence speaks for itself. And the belief in Jesus and his resurrection have guided millions through the worst experience of experiences of life. So, who do you say he is? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. It is humbling. To consider that we have an opportunity to be part of an eternal kingdom. This earth will pass away in all its nations, and all its states, and all its cities. These things will one day be renewed. And Father, we will too be renewed. And, and we act as if this life is just all that is going on. But Lord, you're building a kingdom within us and in others that is renewing, renewing people. Lord, help us to be part of that. And Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.